Every company has breakdowns in their revenue process. Sure thing deals slip into next quarter, competitors creep in and swipe deals away at the last minute, and deals getting single threaded that don't get to power. These are just a few examples of revenue leak, but there are a ton more, and they're preventing your team from reaching their sales targets. That's why I'm such a big fan of Clary's revenue platform. It's the only tool that actually helps leaders take control of their revenue and thrive through any market conditions, especially when things get tough. You can't afford to miss a single detail, but you also can't be leading by gut. Clary combines the science and the art of sales and sales leadership. So go to Clary.com if you want to answer the most important question in your business. Are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Welcome to the Live Better, Sell Better podcast with your host, Kevin Dorsey of Inside Sales Excellence, the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and tech sales leaders, where we dive in deep for tactical advice on how to book more meetings, close more deals faster, and lead sales teams to success. But we don't stop there. We also focus on the person in salesperson. We talk about mindset, goals, time management, and so much more. So thank you for listening. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash inside sales excellence. Now with that, grab a notepad, get ready, and let's dive into the good stuff. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Live Better, Sell Better podcast. This is your host, Kevin Dorsey, aka KD. And today, we're discovering discovery. Because you know what they say, if you want to make money, then follow the money. And I'm a firm believer that in sales, the money isn't in the follow-up, it's in the discovery. And that's why I'm so pumped to have Charles Mulbauer on the show today to talk all things discovery. Because he also comes from the money industry doing big things at Morgan Stanley, and then also enterprise selling to private equity firms and companies. This guy gets how to generate serious revenue, but also gets discovery. So much so that damn near the only thing he focuses on as his role as the head sales trainer at CB Insights is discovery. So I'm excited to discover all he has to teach us on discovery. Charles, my man, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Kevin. Very cool to be here. Very cool. That should be good, man. Like discovery is everything. And I harp on it a lot. And so when you reached out and said, yo, I only want to talk discovery. I'm like, yes, this is going (laughs) to be good. And so so what people love about this show, man, we get right into it. We get into the tactics, none of the backstories of the fluff. So let's start with this, man. Why is discovery the foundation of everything in the sales process? It's an awesome question. Um, And there are many different perspectives to answer that question. But from my perspective, it's everything because discovery gives you, the AE, a chance to give the prospect uh, the ability to think. That's why discovery is everything. Because you're allowing the prospect to think, to think about how they're doing things today, to think about an insight that you found that might surprise them, to think about whether that insight is something that they've talked about internally before, to think about whether even if they've talked about it internally before, 
to what extent have they tried to do anything about it? And if they haven't, why not? Is it because they haven't had the time? Or is it just really not that important and maybe we should stop talking? It gives the prospect a chance to think about what they've done and what they want to do. And that's why I love it so much. Oh, man, I think that's gold. Actually, it's a quick call out here too that I want to ask you because I have a lot of sales reps get this wrong. What's the difference between discovery and qualification? Because a lot, <laughs> a lot of reps, when they're doing discovery, all they're doing is qualification. How many employees do you have? What software do you use? Who's a part of the decision-making process? They're not doing anything that causes people to think. So what's the difference between qualification and discovery? Like, Call this out for me real quick. Can I use, I use an example to help answer that? It's kind of like when you're interviewing for a job. Say I'm interviewing to work for you, Kevin. And you say, Charles, when you were at XYZ Company or when you were at CB Insights or what have you, what kind of deals did you sell? What was the average deal size? How many, team, how many people were on your team? What was your day like? Those are qualification type questions. You want to know a little bit about what I do and what that looks like and whether or not I'm even a fit to, to talk more, right? That's what selling is all about. Just are, is there a reason to talk more? Is there a reason to talk more? Is there a reason to talk more? That's qualification questions on an interview. Discovery questions on an interview would be, disqualifying me. Why are you looking to for a job here? Why should I hire you? What's something that I should be concerned about if, uh, you know, what's one thing that I haven't asked you uh, that's not in your resume that I should ask you? So I guess that's an example I like to use. So uh, I would say discovery is more disqualification, like pushing you away. While a little bit, while qualification is first getting an understanding as to whether or not you're even a fit to have a, that type of discussion. So that's how I would describe it. Um, for a lot of people, qualification is a very light form of discovery, but I do not consider qualification discovery. Um, that's I'm, how I would explain it. I'm with you there. And I think I'm not if sure if that's clear. Is that like somewhat clear? Yeah, I think it's clear because the when I asked you before, like, why is discovery the foundation of everything? A word that you use that no one ever really uses is like you said, you give them the opportunity to think. Qualification questions don't make them think. Right, that's right. <laughs> so even if even that's if another we stopped good the definition. Whole, that's yeah, another if, we, good definition. if we stopped it all right now and said the difference between discovery and qualification questions is one makes them think one does not, people would already be better, right? I love so how you just, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So let's roll with this here, right? So, okay, we're, we're getting people to think. So when we get into discovery, what are you coaching your reps or telling reps, what do you want the prospect to be thinking about through discovery? The first thing I want the prospect to be thinking about are problems, However you want to, if you want to call them problems, challenges, concerns, fears, because they may not have a problem. They may not tell you or feel that they have a problem now, but they might be very concerned that they would have, that they could be having a problem soon for whatever reason. So I want them to think about problems. There is a specific formula that I coach my team uh, to begin to execute that problem question. That's what I want them to be thinking about. 
Um, and I joke around with my teammates because as much as like people like to talk about how good things are, for some reason, people like talking more about how things suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think our brains are wired to be negative, which is terrible, which is why we all are, have fear of failure and all that stuff. Um, but they, they like talking about what they're afraid of, you know, loss aversion, uh, all that stuff. So that's what I like them to think about first. And so, you know, this is, this is the fun because like, I, yeah, I go on discovery all day long, right? So now, because it's true, by the way, first of all, you said something very subtle there. We actually are more wired to talk about and to receive negative information is what kept us alive as a species. Ooh, the red berry tastes good. Is not nearly as important information as the red berry will kill you? Right. And so we actually are, we are attuned to that negative information. But here's what's interesting. You know, if someone's a real friend of yours, based on the negatives they share with you. If you have someone who only tells you the good things going on in their life, they're probably not that good of a friend because they don't trust you enough to share the bad things. So in order for someone to share their problems, you have to have trust. So how do you set up the discovery questions or the process to start building some of that trust where someone feels comfortable sharing those problems? Because the old school classic, right? So Charles, what keeps you up at night? Right. Like, I mean, that would get me thinking about my problems, but I don't know you, so I'm not willing to go there yet. Yeah. How do you set up kind of that process or start to establish a little bit of trust so someone's yeah. willing to share those problems? A very good question. Um, the short answer to that is to teach them something first, which is problem-related. So I'm a big fan of roadmaps. I love roadmaps. Roadmaps to ask a question, roadmaps to answer a question, followed by answer, asking another question, et cetera. So the mini roadmap is one, from, from, from my perspective, one, sharing context, two, sharing insight, three, uh, humbling disclaimer, and four, asking an open-ended question to what extent. So that looks like something like this, sharing context. Hey, Kevin, as you can imagine, just to give you some context about my role here, I speak to probably two or three XYZ teams here a day. That's my context, right? I'm subtly giving you an understanding as to what I'm doing. Two or three private equity firms, venture capital firms pretty much every day. And number two, uh, which is sharing insight, they share a lot of different things with me about what they're concerned about, what they're hoping to accomplish, uh, it, run, any, it ranges anywhere from one, two, three, and four, and it lists out the problems. They're concerned about this. They're worried about this. They have problems with that, or they're really looking to be better at this. Okay, so that's step two. Step three, humbling disclaimer. I, I don't really know exactly how to ask this question or whatever your humbling disclaimer is, and then four, but I'm curious to what extent, and it's the open-ended question using my favorite three words, to what extent, to what extent do any of those resonate at all with you? And if not, what would you say does that I might have missed? So that's the mini roadmap. And that subtly does a lot of different things. Tells you where I sit, what I hear. I know what I'm talking about. Maybe none of that resonates with you. And that's cool. And I'm leaving it open-ended at the end because I'm getting you to think. So that's a way I teach my reps to do that. I I love that. It is. Okay. (laughs) It is. Damn near to the letter, 
how I teach my reps oh, cool. as well. Like almost to the letter, comically. You could actually go back and maybe listen to some podcasts I've done other places where people talk discovery. Hey, <laughs> I talk to XYZ all day long. Right. A lot of them seem to be really struggling with blank, blank, and blank, and then insert insight, which is causing. Right? right. I don't know if that sounds like your world or not. Like which one of those are you struggling with right now? Or do you got it all figured out already? There you go. Right. So that, that's, that's beautiful, man. That was almost to, to the letter yeah. there, which was really, really good. Now, here, here, I think this is going to be good, though. So, and also, too, Oren Clough talks about this in his book, Flip the Script. He says, it's a status alignment question. And that's what helps build trust very quickly. When you ask me a question that only someone who understands my world could ask. The, you know, so everyone listening, like when you're asking the what keeps you up at night, what are your goals, where are you focused going into 2021? Those are so broad and so they're too open ended. And it makes me think you don't know my world at all versus, yo, KD, talking to a lot of VPs right now. A lot of them are talking about how the connect rates have been cut in half since everyone's moved from home and there's no longer an office to call to, which is making it twice as hard to book more meetings and pipeline is shrinking. Like, is that something you're seeing with your team or do you guys find a way around this? Now I know you know my world. Now exactly. I'm like, okay, now we have that trust and we can talk about problems. So where do we go from there, right? So someone says, yeah, Charles, like, yeah, we're struggling with our connect rates right now too. A lot of reps take that as a sign to time to pitch, baby. <laughs> All right. All right. I got a problem. Where do you go from there? Right. So they agree to one of those problems or they say like, yeah, like we are struggling with that. How right. do you keep discovery going? It's an awesome question. Uh, well, there are a lot of different ways to go from there, but the, the main teaching point here is to keep the thread. Mm -hmm. If they, I, there are, there are four triggers I teach here at CB Insights trigger is that if the prospect does this, it's a trigger for you to stay. Okay. So if they bought into a problem, they say, well, actually, yeah, this resonates. That's a trigger. Trigger for me to stay there. Oh, that's so interesting. There are a lot, a lot of different ways to, to stay there. One way is, would it be okay, Kevin, if I asked you a couple of questions about that? Sure. Oh, that problem uh, is, is, is something that, that resonates. Interesting. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Or was there a time that that problem happened in the past six to 12 months? Or would you say that's like, that's never happened to you before? How do you guys think about it? I like also asking, how do you think about it? How do you think about X? How do you think about Y? How do you think about Z? I just want them to think and to sell themselves. So a lot of different ways to stay there. Um, I just mentioned a couple of different ways. Um, but that's some of the ways that you want to just stay there. And basically, it's a mindset. And the mindset is, I want to completely, as an AE, I want to completely forget about myself totally. And I just want to stay in curiosity land. And people who have trouble being curious, I tell them, try to act as if the person that is telling you something is telling you something that's one of the most interesting things you've ever heard and stay there. And it only helps. So it's funny, you, you mentioned the, 
um, threading, I think is how you call it. I'm trying to remember what term I use. I'm totally blanking on it right now, but it's, it's like keeping your questions consistent, right? On a theme. Because when you ask people questions that are inconsistent, it makes them uncomfortable, even though they don't know. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. So, and this is also, you know, even learning lessons. I look back to like my younger days, like even like how guys, how we'll try to talk to a girl at the bar. Where, did, where are you from? Where you go to school? What are your hobbies? <laughs> Who do you know? The questions are inconsistent. There is no theme to them. And it makes people uncomfortable because... We as human beings love to anticipate. And if the questions jump around, we cannot anticipate what's going to come next. So it makes us uncomfortable. Whereas, you know, where did you go to school? Blank. Oh, what's the weather like there? Mm, Oh, right. What did you do in the winter? Like you keep it on a path. It makes people easier to talk to you. So I hope people caught that from you. Of Like you can't just go, okay, I'm hearing this problem. Tell me about it. They go, yeah, we are struggling with that problem. And then you switch to, and how many employees do you have? And who is involved? You have to. So I love that you brought up threading because it's very important to keep that conversation going. And it makes it feel like a conversation and not an interrogation, which is the next thing I wanted to ask on, right? Is like, how do you make discovery feel like a conversation? Because it can, as a buyer, feel like, Oh my God, like, let me just check these 20 questions off for you already. Like, how do you keep it feeling like a conversation versus just checking questions off a list? You just said it. You can have the best discovery questions on planet Earth. But if your discovery questions are not based off of what the prospect literally just told you, it will be an interrogation. Based on what they just told you, of course, you're going to run out of things to ask on a certain topic, but they said something, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to ask something else about that. Now, if they said something that's not relevant to me, okay, I'll move on. But if they say something that's a trigger, um, my question is going to be based on what you just told me. And that's the best kind of discovery. I, I like that. I like that. And so there was something you'd mentioned to me when we were like kind of talking in prep is you, you had this line you said, I'd rather be accurate than optimistic. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather be accurate than optimistic. Talk to me a little bit about like what that means and what you're trying to get the reps or the prospect to understand when you say something like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, now I, I, I admittedly, it's, it's, I've, I haven't read a crazy amount of sales books. I'm very picky about the sales books that I read. I have to be heavily you know, convinced to read a sales book. My favorite sales book to this day, and it's probably the second sales book I ever read, is Question-Based Selling. Yes. Um, I just love that book for so many reasons. The discovery part of that book is out of this world, and that's where I learned, that's where I learned discovery. No question about it. He talks about how he specifically – if you could probably use it in other stages as well, but he specifically talks about it in a stage where you sent out an agreement and it was supposed to come back for some reason, it hasn't come back or whatever. I'm sure it can be applied in other situations. And at that point, you just want the prospect to help you. Um, so what you do is you say, you know, hey, Kevin. Um, and by the way, I did post this on LinkedIn a while back and 
I can't tell you, there were uh, a number of AEs that have reached out to me and said, Charles, this has literally helped me or gotten me to close this deal when I haven't heard from the prospect in a while. And it's such a great feeling. And the, the email or even on the phone is, hey, Kevin, I'm wondering maybe if you can help me out here for a second. I'm having a meeting with my CFO tomorrow, next week, whatever, or my VP of sales. Um, he or she was uh, expecting the agreement uh, to come in last week. Um, I'd rather be more accurate than optimistic here. Um, what, what do you recommend I can, I can tell my CFO or VP of sales in terms of what to do next? So the I'd rather be more accurate than optimistic is indirectly communicating to you like, I'm cool with the truth and I'm not pushing anything here. I'd rather be more accurate than optimistic. It's totally okay. And that takes pressure off of the prospect. It's almost like a mini version of it's okay to tell me no. And this is something I learned, or I should say was reemphasized from Sandler. We, we took a Sandler training a while ago. One of the coolest things uh, that we learned, so simple, is the main reason why a prospect will ghost you is because they are afraid to tell you no. So I love always telling the prospect, I'd rather be more accurate than, accurate than optimistic here. It's okay to tell me no. Don't worry about it. I'll say that all day. So that's a mini version of it's okay to tell me no. And then they, most of the time, I've never experienced anybody that hasn't responded to that in my sales career. They will respond and tell you how they want to help you. So that's what that's about. Oh, no. I, I, I love it. Um, one of my former top reps, David Karch, salty old dog, you, I hope you, you hear this. I love DK. His thing was always, I love yeses. I'm okay with no's, but I hate maybes. Can we at least agree to not get into the chase, to not have to play the back and forth here? You can tell me no, or you can tell me yes, but it's that chase and the maybe that I don't like. Could we at least agree to that? And I always I love loved that. that. I love that line because well, also I love the, way that. He, the way he delivered it was so natural. And he said it on every single demo. It was always the funniest things. Like the floor could hear it, right? And people like, oh, there's DK. He's dropping his line. Like, here we go. <laughs> and so, you know, kind of getting that. And it's, a, and it's the agreement part of it, right? Of like trying to get that upfront. Now, let's talk upfront contracts because okay. I have some thoughts on upfront contracts. I think a lot of people get these wrong. What are your thoughts on an upfront contract and like how you teach your people to go through it? Can you, do you mind if I tell you to tell me what you think people get wrong? I don't know. Now you're trying to make sure <laughs> again. Yes, I'm more than happy to. I don't mind. No, I, I, was, yes, I, I really no. am curious. Yeah. Yes. So when it comes to upfront contracts, I feel like people ask for too much before they've given a reason to do so. Right. And so a very standard upfront contract that people tend to ask is, so at the end of this, if we agree that this like helps, is this something that you would move forward with today? Mm. Is this something that you would be willing to, they ask for agreement to purchase wild before you've provided any value whatsoever. And I hate, I hate those types of upfront contracts. It's like, if we can come to agreement on pricing and value today, is this something you could move forward with? Is this something you'd feel comfortable bringing to your CFO? And people ask for basically a commitment to buy before they've done anything so for interesting. The, the prospect. So that's 
one area that's have a massive problem is they ask for too much before giving. So mm-hmm. that's, that's where I think most people go wrong with upfront contracts. So interesting. So we, no, pardon me. We split up the upfront contract into uh, three questions, actually. The first one's very easy. Um, let's say you have some light conversation. How are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Maybe some, some uh, mini rapport building or what have you. Cool, Kevin. Um, so uh, glad, glad we could connect. Um, had us down for a half hour. Just want to make sure that you had a hard stop at, at this time. Is that, is that right? Yep. Done. Out of the way. Cool. Um, so the second part can be done in a different number of different ways. Um, second part is, cool, Kevin. So the, the, the purpose of this call is to determine whether or not we are fit to potentially work together in the future and even if we can help you. Um, not everybody is a fit for what we do and vice versa. Naturally, you'll have a lot of questions about what we do, which I'm happy to answer. And of course, I'm probably going to have a number of questions for you, some of which may be direct as well to ensure uh, whether or not we are fit. Would that be okay? Sure. Yeah, that's fine. Cool. That's odd. That's step two. Step three. And then, Kevin, at the risk of stating the obvious here, there are really kind of one of two outcomes from this conversation. Either one, you say, Charles. This conversation was garbage, totally useless, not interested in thanks, but no thanks. Or it's compelling enough to talk further and see whether or not there could be something here. So those are really one of the two outcomes in this conversation. Does that work for you also? Yeah, cool. That's my upfront contract. I liked what you said, uh, what DK uh, did there also. So you could probably add that again or make it part of the one of two outcomes. But that is the upfront contract that we have here. I'm just going to add one more thing. What we like to do is take the last part of that upfront contract, the two outcomes, and bring it back at the end when there's like five minutes left. Cool. So, Kevin, I, I know I mentioned at the beginning of the call, I wanted two outcomes here. One, this is useless, or two, this is compelling enough or could make sense to speak further, I guess, where you feel like you're at. So that's how we bring it back. Yeah. No, I, I'm a fan of that format because like, I'm a big believer in like permission-based selling. Right. It's like, hey, I want to be able to ask you a few questions to make sure we're not wasting your time. Would that be okay with you? Yes. Now you're getting that permission to ask those questions. Then that next part of like, because at the end of the day, I need to find out if there's even a problem worth solving here. If y'all got it all figured out, you got nothing to talk about. And I'll be the first person to tell you. Right. But if we do, we can keep this conversation going. If we do, then we can get into pricing. And that's one of the things I like to really do is tell people that getting into pricing is dependent upon how discovery goes. Getting into the demo is dependent upon how discovery goes. Because if you don't address the fact of what they're probably thinking, right? And anyone who has a significant other, you know what I'm about to, what I, what I mean when I say this. Like if you're arguing with someone, are you really listening to them? What are you thinking about? You're thinking about what you're going to say next. If someone comes into discovery, more often than not, the core questions they have in their head are, what does the product do and how much does it cost? If you don't let them know that you're going to cover those things, it just stays up in their head the whole time. But then two, when you make it contingent upon how discovery goes, they tend to be more forthcoming, right? We're going to ask these questions cool. Why? To see if it's even worth showing you the product. If it is, there's a problem there, cool. If there's not, 
We don't even have to show it to you. We don't even have to get into these things, right, to go through it. So I like the way you're setting it up there. And then DK, his upfront contract to me was always, was always at the end. Like, hey, we think this makes sense to then take these next steps, right? Yes. That's when he'd get into his yes, no's, and maybes and chase of like, all right, let's get, this on. let's get this on the books. Cool. But now, hey, yes, no, maybe. Let's avoid the chase and go through. So now I like the way that you set it up with permission. Give them the ideal outcomes up front and then start to work through it. But it's very different than how most people are doing upfront contracts right now. And I, when a sales rep does it to me on like a demo, like I'm like, no. It really, no. it's funny. It, it really sets the stage big time. Like big time. It makes, I, 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 don't, I think AEs don't realize how, it, how powerful an awesome upfront contract is. It really sets the stage for the call where the prospect hears you do it. <clears throat> and the prospect says, wow, yeah, that's cool. I heard a prospect say on a call to one of my AEs on a recorded call that we were, that I was coaching them on. The prospect said, after the two outcomes, he said, yeah, no, that's cool. By the way, you should know, I really appreciate you saying that because most people that I speak to don't even ask me if it's okay to say no. He literally said that and it was really, really powerful. Um, yeah, I loved it. Right. So something for everyone listening, right? The old school way of like, get them to say yes, get them to say yes, get them to say yes. The more yeses that they say, the more likely they are to say yes is not true. In fact, what they have found is if someone has the ability to say no, they're actually more likely to say yes. It's when people feel trapped that they push back when they don't feel like they have a choice. And that's why I like the way that you, you, you know, ask this. What I also want everyone to listen to, he has been dropping some very serious insights on how to do discovery, but I want you to listen to his tone. I want you to rewind and go back and listen to what tone he gets into when he's asking his discovery questions. It is a very calm, confident, inquisitive. This is why like, I go against the grain with a lot of salespeople. Like, I don't actually ask my reps to stand when they're on a demo. Right or like energy creates you know emotion. I actually want you being calm because when you're hype, you don't listen. You don't listen. You're gonna miss the little things, right? And so the, the little things are what matters, right? Sometimes it's the things that are not said that matter mm-hmm. most as you go through discovery. Like, how do you work with your team to catch those nuances, right? Or to to take that pause or to ask that extra question of the things that maybe aren't being said as you go through discovery? So two things. One, when I'm having a coaching session with an AE and they're talking to me differently than how I hear them on the call, I'm going to ask them straight up, why do you talk to me differently than when you talk to a prospect? And say, what do you mean? Your tone is very calm. You're treating me like somebody you know. You're much more casual, still professional. Why, why is you treating me differently? I find that the AEs that perform really well, I mean, there are many reasons why they perform well, okay? Many variables to it, <clears throat> obviously, but the, the, the AEs that do perform well in general sound just the same on the phone as they do when they're talking to me. There is no difference. And so tone is a big thing. The second thing uh, and Kevin, pardon me if I, I missed part of your question. The to to when paying attention to things that are unsaid, which are sometimes the most important, the way to help 
get there is to recap, is to recap. And, and there are AEs that are afraid to recap because they're afraid to indirectly communicate to the prospect that they don't understand something. That's one reason why they're afraid to do it. Another reason why they're afraid to do it is they're afraid to, um, they, they find that recapping what someone just said doesn't do anything. They, they, like, why would I recap what you just said? Like, what does that accomplish? I'm just, wouldn't you be, wouldn't you have the reaction of why you're repeating what I just said? But <clears throat> when you recap what someone said, it, one of two things happen. They either say, exactly, you got everything correct, which is what I want to know. Two is they'll say, well, no, that's not exactly what we do or how we do it, or what the problem we have is. It's this. Oh, okay, clarification. Or three, you got it exactly right, and they say, yeah, and, and then they tell you more. That also gives the AE a chance to continue to think. When I'm recapping what you just said, it takes any pressure off of me to think about what I want to do next or what I want to ask next. It's actually an amazing solution to take all the pressure off me when I would normally say, without recapping, oh, okay, Kevin, cool. And then I'm like, what do I want to ask next? In the meantime, I could just recap. Oh, so what is that? So what you're saying is this, this, and this, and that? Oh, interesting. And now I'm like out of my head completely. And now I can listen more, be more present, be more curious, and the questions will come better. And the worst case scenario is, let's say I don't know what question to ask next, and there's silence on the phone. I just say, Kevin, I, I apologize. I'm just processing what you just said and taking some notes on that. So I appreciate mm -hmm. it. So I just love recapping is an amazing, amazing tool. So simple. Yeah. It's simple. And I want everyone listening, pay attention here, right? There's a difference between recapping and parroting. A lot of reps parrot. They just say back what the person said. That is not recapping. Okay, when you know, okay, so which one of these is you're struggling with? Um, yeah, I'm struggling with connect rates. Okay, you're struggling with connect rates. Struggling with connect rates. Okay, got it. <laughs> that that's just a parody. You're just saying it back. Now, some of my favorites there, like tell me more is one of my favorite discovery lines by right. far. But I love to set it up with like a curiosity builder, right? Of they say something, you go, interesting. Really? Huh. Oh, wow. Like something that makes them like, it, it triggers curiosity. Like, oh, in interesting. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about that? I haven't heard it phrased that way before. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I think you might approach this differently than others, right? And you give them that little justifier as well that kind of lifts their ego up. That was always my favorite setup is a curiosity response with a tell me more with a justifier. Oh, interesting. Huh. Charles, tell me a little bit more about that. I haven't heard someone phrase recaps that way before. Like, could you give me a little bit more? That's very insight? cool. I like that a lot. Right. Uh, uh, another formula is simple formula that I help AEs execute in order to keep the thread. They said something, you, and you say, oh, that's interesting. Um, when you say X, then the next part of that sentence is, when you say X, how do you mean? 
How do you mean actually, I'll talk about this for a quick second, is not, <clears throat> it's not what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that can come off as aggressive and make somebody defensive? How do you mean, maybe grammatically doesn't make any sense, but when you, change, when you say uh, connect rates, when you say you have a problem with X, how do you mean? People open up. And that's like a mini formula. When you say X, how do you mean? When you say Y, can you tell me a little bit more about that? So I like yours uh, as well, just a different version of it. Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty of this, y'all. And I hope you can like, hear this as we go through. There's a lot of ways to do this, but the themes are very similar, right? We are trying to ask questions. We are trying to build curiosity through our questions and the beauty of questions, right? I don't think it's any surprise that we share very similar um, backgrounds and discovery of one of your favorite books was question-based selling because it's one of my favorite books too, right? Is you can actually sell through questions because you wouldn't be asking some of these questions if you didn't have solutions to them. And that's what people forget about discovery. I wouldn't be asking you about connect rates if I didn't have a way to improve your connect rate. And so you're, <laughs> you're, you're subtly like planting seeds of they, they may have something for this as well through discovery, which I think is really, really good. And there's one more question I wanted to ask you here because you did it, um, again, unprompted when we got into un upfront contracts is you, you got permission. Right. And I, I'm a big believer in this as well. You know, a lot of salespeople feel like they, you know, you want to avoid being told no. So I'm just going to ask it. I'm not going to get permission. Right. Especially when it comes to the tough questions. So, first of all, most sales reps avoid the tough questions. But then also, too, a lot of the times when they do do it, they just go for it. It's like they work themselves up and they go for it. How do you approach that tough question? Like, do you get permission first? Do you just go right into it? Like, how do you approach kind of that, that question that might be a little bit harder to ask? There are a number of different ways to approach it depending on your rapport with the prospect and depending on the, pro the type of prospect that you're speaking to. Some of them are very direct and they, that's how they speak. So there's no, you know, one way to do it. Um, first of all, for those AEs that are afraid to ask tough questions, I'm going to tell you right now, tough questions make your job so much fun. Your job as a salesperson is stressful enough. Have fun. Let loose because it's okay to tell me no. And when it's okay to tell me no, the weight has been lifted off my shoulders. And that gives me the right to ask you, when you know how to ask a direct question, honestly, you can ask almost any question you want to ask. That's the reality of it. Um, one way I do that, and I touched upon it earlier, are humbling disclaimers, which we talked about. Uh, I talked about it on another podcast also. Um, the humbling disclaimers are, hey, Kevin, I, I could be way off or I could be way out of bounds when I ask this question. I'm not trying to ask it, but um, when you say you have a problem with X, like how, how long has that been an issue for? And then you can end that question again with another humbling disclaimer by saying, I'm just really curious to understand how you guys operate. So it's like your sandwich, like a disclaimer sandwich, uh, if you will. That allows you to ask a direct question. That's one way. Another way. Oh, that's very interesting. Can I maybe ask you like a really weird question about that, Kevin? Can I maybe ask you like a pretty direct question about that? Would that be okay? 
It gives me another chance, just like the humbling disclaimer gave me a chance for asking for permission gives me a chance to ask you a very direct question. And then the third way, depending again on your rapport and the type of prospect it is, just say, oh, that's interesting. Um, and then just ask, just uh, a, a, a not, this is not necessarily a disclaimer. You just say, out of my own mere curiosity, and then just ask a direct question. Um, asking direct questions shows that you're very confident without being rude. Uh, we're never being rude. I actually used to think it meant being rude, <laughs> but that's how I ask direct questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the setup is key there. Again, everyone listening, the tone is also key more than anything, especially for all of, I'll call it the new virtual sellers. There's a lot of people out there that have not sold virtually, have not sold remotely. They were used to selling face-to-face where you can read a situation, you can read body language. Your body language controls a lot of the meaning of the word. When you're over the phone, over Zoom, tone is now everything because there is no body language to watch. And so if you're worried about being too aggressive, watch your tone. Because if you stay calm, if you stay relaxed, if you sound curious, People allow you to dig a little bit more as opposed to being too direct. Everyone who said they read the challenger customer or challenger um, seller, they think they know what it means. Oh, I got a challenge. No, no. <laughs> that was not what that entire book was about. It was not about challenging people or being aggressive. It was about leading with insights and educating, which was something you mentioned at the very beginning of this, is if you can teach right. them something, that helps to, to establish trust. Exactly. And, and there was, and there was, sorry to interrupt you, Kevin. There was another way to ask a direct question that I completely forgot. And that is to ask the direct question while you're simultaneously asking for permission to ask it. That sounds like, Kevin, would it be okay if I asked you why you feel that way? Something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the, the beauty, oh, there's so much. We could go on discovery <laughs> all, all day long, right? So there's something called a layered question, right? Where if you ask two questions together, the answer to the first one also is the answer to the second one. So an example of that, right, is, hey, I was hoping you could help me out real quick. Do you got a sec? By saying yes to, you got a sec, you're also saying yes to help. Right? Whereas if you just come out and say, hey, would you help me? It's more direct. So what you're doing is a pseudo layered question there of like, you know, would it be okay if I asked you, how are you doing blank right now? By saying yes to the first, they're also agreeing to the second and it is a layered question. You can set things up very well there. And so like this is, this is, I could riff on discovery all day because like this is where I think it goes, right? We've been going for almost 45 minutes now and that's not even enough. Like we spend hours, hours and hours <laughs> on discovery training. I rarely listen to the end of calls. I rarely go to the end. I listen to the beginning because that's where I believe most deals are lost. Anytime a rep comes up and asks me for a help on a deal, the first question I ask them is, what problem do they agree they had? That's a discovery question. It's nothing at the end. It's what problem did they agree they had and go through it? Like discovery is, is everything. And so, but with this, we've covered a lot here. I hope people took notes. This is one of those where like, I hope people come back and like write this shit down and actually go implement these things because it's going to help them 
But if you could narrow it down, right? We've been going for 45 minutes now. Three key takeaways. If they forgot everything, but three things that would make their discovery better, what would those three things be? Recapping, humbling disclaimer to ask difficult questions and asking for permission. Those three things help reduce your ego, help you become more vulnerable, and allow the prospects to want to help you. I love that. I love it. It's so simple, y'all, but powerful. It's simple but powerful. And I hope people follow and actually do it. So that's the key with all this. Like anyone can go listen to a podcast. And I love people like, oh, I listen to podcasts all the time. It's like, cool. Like, what do you do? Do you do do anything with it? You just listen. And so the last thing I want to touch on here, right, is the name of the podcast is Live Better, Sell Better, right? Like I have this weird idea that if people took better care of themselves, that if people and companies empowered their employees, that if we lived better lives, that the sales also follow. What would be your live better advice for people listening in terms of how to get more joy or fulfillment or energy out of life? I am not currently an individual contributor, but I can tell you right now that there was, when I was, there was always a direct correlation between how well I did as an individual contributor and whether or not I was exercising. I couldn't believe it. It's just true. When I had down quarters, I just wasn't exercising at all. And I was eating unhealthy, all that stuff. I mean, at this point, I don't even care what what you're eating. When I woke up in the morning and exercised, I just sold better. I I was in a better mood. Things you think more clearly, you're more confident, the endorphins, you're happier. You're more you're when you're happier, you want to have fun. I want to just reiterate one more time, have fun at selling. And the more you can do to 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 make yourself positive and give yourself those endorphins, the more fun you're going to have on the phone. I, I love that. I love that. And there, there are there's so many studies that talk about when you're exercising, you're more creative, you're a better problem solver, you're more empathetic, you have more energy, you can stay on task better. I mean, like everything, right? Like, look I've gone, <laughs> like you look better, you feel better, you sleep better. Like there are certain things, and I've talked about this with like companies I work with. I'm like, why can't I make exercise and meditation mandatory. Like if I can make people cold call, like just a soul sucking exercise, why can't I make people exercise and meditate if I know it's going to improve their results? I I love that. I love that. I absolutely love that. When, if and when I'm ever running my own thing, best believe 10 o'clock, we're all doing burpees, y'all. Let's do this. Let's rock. <laughs> so Charles, Charles, my man, this was phenomenal. You lived up to some of the reputation. People are starting to, I'm starting to hear the whispers. I'm starting to hear the recommendations. Yo, this dude, Charles, this dude, Charles, he gets it. He gets it. He goes through it. How can people get more of you, man? Like where, where can they find you, get more insights, get more of kind of what you're putting down? Like how can they get more Charles in their life? You obviously can hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, if you wanted to see some uh, extra content coming out soon, I am coming out with a Discovery Mastery uh, digital product, if you Hell will. Yeah. So you can just sit there and think. 
Uh, unfortunately, discovery is kind of just like long-term investing. Long-term investing is boring and it's hard to do. And discovery is not an, a quick fix. It's, you have to study it, you have to pay attention to it, and you have to keep the thread on it. You have to really sit there and listen and pay attention and practice. Um, and so I'm coming out with that. Otherwise, anybody can hit me up on LinkedIn. And uh, I look forward to hearing from any of you. Hell yeah, my man. Well, I would recommend everyone do that. I can't wait till that course is ready. We'll make sure to promote it out to the listeners and, and the email list. But my dude, thank you so much for your time, your energy, your insights. I appreciate you. Thank you, Kevin. For sure.